Welcome to Food and Loathing, where we would never throw a microphone at someone, even if they did toss a drink in our face. Unless it was cheap beer, in which case we would undoubtedly go Cardi B on their ass. That's right. Damn. This is your weekly glimpse into the Las Vegas restaurant scene brought to you by some of the biggest food nerds in Las Vegas. I'm your host, Al Mancini, a man with over 21 years experience writing about Las Vegas restaurants and the gut to show for it. I'm also the creator of the Neon Feast restaurant guide and app. And my co-host is Samantha Gemini Stevens, creator of the Wishbone and Vine food blog and a food writer for offthestrip.com. Good morning, Gemini. How the hell are you? You know what? I am doing pretty damn good today. It's a nice, bright Thursday. It's not as hot as it has been because that weather came through. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Let's go. And we are coming to you, I would say live, but not really. We're alive. We are coming alive. To you and we are alive this episode. <laughs> and we are at Bad Beat Brewing in the Henderson Booze District, located on Eastgate Road between Sunset and Gibson off both the 95 and the 215 in Henderson. And the man who is working all the magic that makes this happen is our engineer who always keeps us in the clear, the tech geek who always makes sure you can hear us speak, the one and only Rich Johnson. I'm feeling my inner Muhammad Ali. You are. I love it. I love it. I want to throw glitter at you now, but somebody might get mad at me. Okay. (laughs) Hello, Rich. Nice to be back in the same room again and again and out and about at a place. Yeah. That's cool. Um, Yeah, as we mentioned, we're recording this entire episode of Bad Beat Brewing, and we'll be joined later in the show by Gemini. There's no names in my notes. There's no names names in my notes. (laughs) I thought I upgraded that for you. Who's joining us We are going to be talking to founder and co- or not even co-owner, founder and owner Nathan Hall, and he's going to tell us how he got here. And we're also going to be talking to head brewer Tom Harwood, who's got a Las Vegas brewing history um, and yeah, he's has, an OG, right? He's an OG, and he has worked with the OG, Dave Ott. So um, oh, he's yeah. going to be really fun to talk to. Very cool. So that's coming up. They've already dropped some beer off for us at our, what is this, noon? <laughs> Carl's so Bad IPA. Yeah, we're going to get into Coast that style. when Tom gets over 7. here. 7.1 ABV. All right. Stay tuned for that. That's a tease for later in the show. <laughs> I mean, I'm messing around here, man. I should get you guys started now and loosen you up. Right? <sighs> Oh, um, so what are we, where are we at? So, you know, you guys know how we start the show, man. It's the time where we share our own restaurant and dining stories accumulated since our last episode. You know, I got to stress, these are not formal reviews. I haven't done one of those since my days at Vegas 7, and I always hated them doing them, and nobody does them legitimately anymore by yeah. with any standards. So these are just us talking about restaurants. We eat out a lot. We feel it's our duty to share those experiences with those who don't get to sample as many places as we do. Perhaps inspire you in some cases warn you as you plan <laughs> your next night out gemini man you want to get us started yeah Where yeah you, you know i didn't go do a lot this week but i did a lot this week because i finally got to the sundry i had been planning it for a while i finally took a girlfriend we went for lunch um i did not write down all of the different Hall, uh, food hall, um, I don't know if you want to call them restaurants or, or vendors. Which experience or, or which yeah. menu yeah. you ordered from, Which right. menu. But I can tell you about some of the food. So that was the biggest thing. A um, couple of takeaways. I'll make this really simple. As far as the dishes, flavor highlights, the lumpia, the jamon de barico, the maitake mushroom sliders. Oh, my God. It was like somebody roasted them and then gave them a hard sear with cast iron. They tasted meaty. They, they and not that they have to, but they just did, yeah. and they were beautiful. 
Um, they had great pickling on them. Um, we also got mm. the Diane's Dirty Bloody Mary, Diane's Bloody Mary. And I got mix. news on Diane today. That yes. So that's, I'm excited about this. that because I love her stuff. Um, and Leap Year Cocktail, was, which was this sort of sweet and savory, had a little absinthe, had green grapes on top, had beautiful, Whoa. beautiful, <laughs> beautiful flavors. And we didn't have anything that was bad. Like, we really enjoyed the pimento. We really enjoyed the pickled shrimp. We really enjoyed um, the tuna salad, the smoked tuna salad that somebody brought out. But my issues were with – my issue really comes with the pricing. It's it's a little bit expensive, um, you get, you know, four shrimp for like $18. You know, you get the pimento dip, which is good for, you know, two or three or four bites. And that's it. And that's like 12 or 13 or $14. Um, that's that. Our biggest disappointments were that. Um, How everything... did you feel about the ordering thing? Because I... like I said, for me, it gets a little cumbersome with all 13 of those menus plus multiple tabs for each of those menus on one ordering system. But I am old. I am not of the generation raised <laughs> to order everything with your fucking phone. I mean, I'm not decrepit. I can use technology. Right? But it's not, you know, it's I wasn't raised in my eyesight's for shit, too. You yeah. know, so like, I mean, there's old man problems. But so that's why I'm wondering how <laughs> other people felt about. You that. know what? I, for all the complaints I've heard about it, and, and I get it, people people's experiences are different. I loved it. I clicked, I took a picture of one code on my phone. I zipped through the menu. I picked this. Okay, I can go back. I can go and do this. Maybe it's because I spent so much time at Vegas Test Kitchen because mm -hmm. that was sort of their, their thing before this came along. Um, maybe it's because I've, the pandemic taught me how you have to scan the code because nobody's handing you a menu right. anymore. Um, I found it super easy to use, super easy to add things to it, um, easy to look at all the way it breaks down with the taxes. They suggest a tip um, because there are bussers out there. People are refilling your water glasses. They're making sure that you have cloth napkins and, and, and metal cutlery. Uh, we were really well taken care of, and we just kind of wandered in off the street, took one of, you know, offered one of the first booths. We were kind of out of the way, so we didn't get to really see what was happening. We were actually kind of back to back to the wall kind of mm -hmm. thing, or rather back to the um, the show. But really easy. I mean, now you had a few cocktails too, right? We tried two. Yeah, okay, we split so, two. Because I think like one of the things we've zeroed in on with some of the people that have complained about the prices as you have uh, also is that the cocktail pricing may seem a bit high. Now, because I've gone and not had cocktails and I've really been uh, I've been fine with the price that yeah. I paid like for what I've Yeah, eaten my now. my issue with the with the expense is really probably just a handful of dishes. We had a mm -hmm. table full of food and if you do go to Wishbone Vine um, on the socials, you'll see some of that, and I'm going to go through and start layer, laying out e what each dish is and where it came from, since I didn't write those down. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the cocktail pricing, I don't know, maybe it's a Vegas thing. Maybe it didn't bother me that yeah. much. And I didn't find the food pricing that bad for the things I've eaten there so yeah. far. So, um, yeah, some but, stuff I, mean, I thought was be more cheap. Than... You know, that's, but let's face it, it's really tough for me right now to comment on food pricing anywhere because we're in this post-pandemic pricing yeah. thing where I don't think everything's quite shaken out yet. I mean, obviously, inflation is out there. Everything, everything's costing more, and you know, well, I and it's food logistics. Some food just can't be traveled the way it used to be. Yeah. Some of it's just not available the way it used so to be. So it's been hard for me over the past, I'd say, year to yeah. judge what I think is fair food pricing because I haven't haven't settled into what the new normal is. That's fair, you know. And so from that angle, like, yeah, I. 
I would say that the, the prices didn't bother me, but I could see that people have. We yeah. do have news from those guys today. So I don't know if you saw this press release that came out today. Um, no, but I'm looking forward to you telling me all about it in just a minute. Okay, cool. All right. I, I want to save that, yeah. the news. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, overall, I enjoyed it. I will definitely go back. Um, everything was delivered in a really efficient and polite manner. Um, and like I said, there is a level of service there that you don't find in many food halls where you just go and you go to that booth and you order your thing and then you go find a table. That's a food court to me. Mm -hmm. um, this, this very much engages the customer. There's very much customer service involved. So for my little eh, here and there, I, th it, I think it was totally worth it. And I'm so looking forward to going back. My cousin's coming into town soon. One of the first things I'm going to do when he gets off the plane is take him to the sundry. And you're not far from there, right? Not really, no. And I think no. that plays into it, as we said last week. Yeah, it's I think we're all pretty close. Yeah. I think I think you're about halfway between me and the sundry. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's nice and close. We're in my neighborhood. It's fucking yeah. great. If you live over there, it's a godsend, <laughs> I have to say. Um, um, and then one other thing, um, I, I had a craving this weekend. We were up super early in the morning. So one of my favorite places to go when it's super early and there believe it or not there is nothing open on our side of town mm. uh, we went down to the palace station oyster bar wow and mm, uh yeah. enjoyed yeah and even at, morning oysters even huh? getting there at like 7 7 15 there was already a line so i went over to a bar got a bloody mary got john a beer um, and for people who may not be familiar with the Palace Station Oyster Bar, it's the best oyster bar in town. It's it's such a fucking Vegas <laughs> institution, and I would not say whether it's better or. I mean, honestly, I think the one that Station has in Santa Fe is just as good food wise. Absolutely, uh, I, yeah, you know, that's fair. Um, but but the, the truth of the matter is, it's tiny. But there's, there's only about a few the seats. You have to wait yeah. online. Yeah. So many people come to Las Vegas and they make it their first stop yeah. after their plane lands, and if they haven't waited on a two-hour line yep. at the Palace Station Oyster Bar, they don't feel like they gotten to vegas so, yet i think recently God. we were talking about people who come to vegas and they just don't go to sleep they don't because mm -hmm. they don't decide they decide yeah. they're not staying anywhere they're not spending that money they're just going to get there do their thing and leave there was a couple of people at the bar a couple of seats down from us talking about how they hadn't slept yet and they couldn't wait to get home to their own bed but they were oh, so man. damn glad they got into the oyster bar before they left yeah yeah <laughs> it is yeah it's it's an experience it, it is, is a vegas thing and if you're a vegas foodie you have to do it yeah. you're not going to go home and say like oh my god like no. this is so much earth it's not earth changing life altering no. cuisine it's just fucking good it's fucking good and it's yeah. fun and the and people are fun, fun to hang out with people and it's, even when you do wait online i don't wait online for shit you no. know but even when people do wait online one person holds the space while the other people gamble exactly and yeah. new friends on the line yeah so you is... can pretty much play slots as you're in line pretty yeah, much you really can <laughs> pretty much so i mean i yeah i'm glad you yeah. brought that up and i'm glad you got over there yeah because... and it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite breakfasts is to just go sit wow. at the oyster bar so what'd you have i had some delicious washington oysters um they were not the kumamoto's that i love so much but they were really small really sweet um super fresh i mean everything they were out of nothing that day so anything anybody wanted with extras and this and that was perfect um we got steamed clams and you know you can watch them do it in those steam bowls things mm -hmm. oh, yeah. boilers and whatever uh, those were really really good just a little bit of butter in the broth just enough to give it some richness but had a nice kick to it which we really enjoyed and then we shared the pan roast combo which is the shrimp the lobster the crab and then we added some sausage because i do like the sausage oh. they use in their pan roast 
I love the pan roast so. <laughs> in, in all kinds of different places in town. Certainly that one. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that I can have it at seven in the morning. Oh, absolutely. And then it depends you get, what you've been doing. You get, uh, four, true. five, and six. That's in right. The you're not That's getting true. up. You're getting in. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then I had another Bloody Mary, and and to all go with it because all those spices come together. It was the perfect. Uh, I think it was Sunday morning breakfast. Oh, fuck. yeah. Sounds awesome. Rich, um, why don't you go next and please tell me it wasn't all fast food this week. <laughs> Just one fast food thing that I'm going to postpone until the news section because it dovetails with uh, the the Valley's there big uh, major fried chicken developments this week. Oh my week. gosh, more fried chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we did uh, <laughs> uh, take out twice this week at uh, the usual places. Aromi, yep. a great little Italian spot near us. Uh you know, for us, it's the usual bronzino for Joanna. And this time I passed by the uh, lasagna I almost always have. I went rogue with chicken parm. Woo, chicken yeah. parm. <laughs> Which is a winner. Perfectly fried a pair of pounded. Called chicken parmesan. Chicken parmesan. <laughs> cheese. Tomato sauce. Deep fried pounded uh, chicken breast. Just like uh, two of these grandma used to make. And this place yes. has just the right amount of uh, cheese and sauce. Just like... Shitty pizza places that think 26 times the extra cheese will make people buy more things. Uh, you, no, I can't you, eat you go that to a lot of places point. with, you know, an inch and a half of cheese and another inch and a half of sauce on right. top of a, you know, somewhere in there might be a chicken might. breast. Uh, Aromi is perfect that way. Not sloppy overkill. Awesome. We also up. Uh, had takeout from the former occupant of that spot at Rampart and Lake Mead. That is Natalia's Secret Kitchen, one of the great Thai places yep. in the valley. Yeah. It moved to that bigger space around the corner in the strip mall that yep. faces Lake Mead. Uh, more usual suspects, shrimp pad thai. I get double shrimp now. Okay. No. Yeah, yeah. That's Not double cheese on the pizza, but double no, no. shrimp on the pad That's thai. That's totally okay. That's a whole <laughs> you know, other animal. Literally. I was at some neighborhood place, <laughs> not here, but in Seattle 20 years ago. And I saw how they were making the, the pizzas, and I was getting one to go. And I said, here's, do me a favor. I don't need to pay any less, but give me half the amount of cheese. <laughs> and they just, their head went, what? How could, I can't figure, don't change the price. That's fine. Right. I just don't want to waste. It's just too I've much. I've done that to people. Boom. Like you, yeah, yeah, don't worry about what, what it costs, but I yeah. don't, I yeah. don't want to waste. I don't want to waste. Or this or no. this. <laughs> when they say, you know, I don't want the hash browns. I love the hash browns, but I I. I don't yeah. need them. And, I don't and, want to waste the food. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> I can't take that. No, that's fine. All right. Uh, Natalia's, the, the basil chicken was is my go-to there. And I've learned to ask for the chicken slices instead of the ground chicken. Oh, yes. And apparently that's uh, caught on because the host actually asked, do you want slices? Oh, okay. So the good for them on that. Same price. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. probably using better quality in the slice. Yeah. And uh, uh, just a little personal note, the Aromi dinner commemorated... Uh, one of the great things people do in Nevada and have for 70, 80, 100 years, and that is the quickie divorce. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so this was your divorce celebration? This is my divorce. Well, I want to commemorate. Commemoration. Okay. We brought the uh, Brunzino and the, and the lasagna home, or the, the parm, and we had a nice bottle of Jacqueline Leon sparkling rosé. Oh, yeah, that's uh, out that of stuff. New Mexico. It's delicious. Wonderful stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, so uh, everything's at peace. We're good. I'm sad and, to hear uh, you got divorced, but I'm happy to hear exactly. it didn't end in you throwing the food at each other. Exactly. Oh, no. Like party B moment again. This is, uh, you know, it's been months in the making, and now it's done, and we are at peace. I still live in the house like so many people yeah, of my age group do. who, uh, you know, got to stay in the same place for a while. Yep. 
So, uh, yeah, that's that. And uh, fried chicken news to come. Okay, yes. so I guess it's my turn to talk about meals. I've got a bunch, so let's try to get through these. Um, a few hours after we recorded last week's podcast, I paid a visit to Caviar Bar in Resorts World. I was over there to speak to Chef Sean Hergat, who was in town to oversee some new menu items. Um, he also sent me out some food. I did some waffle fries topped with caviar and creme fraiche. I need to go mm-hmm. visit Caviar Bar. Oh, man. Yeah. It's of, been a while. <laughs> pair of steak tartare bites. One of them was topped with quail eggs, the other with caviar. Oh, my God. Um, an exquisite scallop. I mean, he normally does it as a full entree. He just sent me over one because I was going home to eat with my wife that night. Um, but this oh, gorgeous scallop, it was prepared in what reminded me of like a, a katafi dough, yeah. like the shredded yeah, phyllo the shredded, dough. Yeah, shredded, yep. Um, and beautifully delicate um, kaffir lime sauce served Ooh. with asparagus tips and what I believe were broccoli florets, maybe yeah. broccolini florets. But sure. um, wow. again, it was a small portion just for one, but oh, fucking so good. The, the way that Sounds this amazing. kaffir lime, was, uh, it was just, it was the mark of a, a great chef, right? Oh. And it was such a subtle dish. And you'll hear him talk about how he likes to let the um, ingredients stand out. And even with so much going on around the scallop, you still tasted the scallop. Nice. You still could tell what a great scallop that they were using over there. Um, chef Sean, honestly, he may be one of the most underhyped chefs on the strip. I mean, this is a guy who won all sorts of awards, including earning two Michelin stars for NYC's show Sean Hargat in 2009. And yet, I don't know, man, his name just doesn't seem to get tossed around as much in conversations about all the great chefs yeah. in Las Vegas. So, I, you know, I don't know what that's all about. I sometimes feel as though a lot of people don't realize how much more than caviar is available at Caviar Bar. Um, and we spoke about that and more. I pulled about five minutes of that conversation to share here. We start off discussing what's new at the restaurant and move on to talk about how his cooking philosophy has changed as he's matured. We're actually doing quite a lot of stuff. I just produced another eight new dishes to put on the menu. Um, so we've been doing a lot of testing, obviously upgrading, you know, the whole, really it's a 2.0. We're a year and a half, actually a bit older than a year and a half, coming into two years now. So I think it's the service, everything's, you know, kind of gelling, but really focusing on trying to get it to another level. You'll see the food when it comes out, like it's a much different thing when it first started, right? For people who walk by this place all the time, they see the name, they think it's a great place for caviar. They're used to maybe other hotels that have, you know, caviar-themed bars and restaurants in them. I think they don't know to look a little deeper into the menu sometimes. And what would you say to somebody who didn't realize that Caviar Bar was a full-fledged restaurant? What should they expect here? You know, I think that we've been a very avid and strong marketing sort of strategy to make sure that people know that it's not just caviar and champagne. Um, you know, obviously, coming and sitting down, there's a few things you can do. Celebrate your anniversary, your birthday, whatever you want to do. It's a celebration place. More importantly, you can come down for a tasting menu. You can also come down just for a, like a preamble before you go out for a dinner or a show. So the creation of this restaurant is really something where everyone can have something, a little bit of everything, right? So if you look at the menu, it's quite diverse. It's not just ethnic uh, driven. It's got quite a lot of different styles of food on it. I think you've got snacks on the menu, you've got some salads, and you've got some real food. We've got main courses and all that sort of stuff. So for me, definitely focus on a high quality product. That's the most important thing. Executed with really you know, high level sort of technique and, and a great team. Served well, served unpretentiously. And I think from my perspective, it's really the nature of how I am as an Australian, right? Like I, I just like to be a little bit more casual, I don't necessarily want to have to be like that whole ceremonial procession. You know, I think people should be able to come in in a T-shirt, pair of shorts, or they can get dressed up to the tea and want to come out for a big night out and have some caviar. So 
you know, we offer a lot of range, I think. And I think that's the, the biggest thing for me is it's like, you don't have to be stuck in one box in Vegas. People want a little bit of everything. And that's what you got at Caviar Bar. So would you say this is a seafood restaurant? Would you say this is a yes. particular... Okay. I, was, I, w- I would say that most of it is driven by seafood. I grew up uh, right next to the water. I think that typically you have this in Vegas, right? You have sushi, you have Italian, and you have steakhouses. Um, there's obviously Greek restaurant, which would, Milos would be a perfect example. This one here is much more like, I would say, seafood orientated with a bit of a, 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 an international Japanese sort of ingredient list. Um, but it's a creative environment. That's what the thing is, is when you come and eat here, it, none of the food here is really done. It's done with an idea and a concept. It's not just replicated. So I think I'm very proud of that. And the team obviously worked very hard for that as well. So we have a very different identity to everywhere else. And that's why people come here. For those who are familiar with the restaurant and have dined here a few times that are going to be really excited to hear that you've added some new dishes to the menu. So could you run me through a couple of your favorites? You know, obviously caviar is always a favorite, but oysters, you know, shigoku oysters just with a caviar on top or if you just want to have it dressed very simply. I like natural food and I like things that are like not necessarily processed too much, right? So even if you have a main course, the Wagyu beef from Australia, you know, chanterelle mushrooms, a little bit of sauce on the bottom. I think that's a great way to eat because easy to identify with a high level uh, product. And I think that complication with food for me as I get older it becomes a little bit of a mystery I like very very clean flavors um, if you run down the menu I think that the the king crab lettuce wraps are great you know it's a fun thing it looks beautiful it's fresh it's healthy it's light uh, and I think also all of the seafood that's on the menu it's supremely fresh we fly in from all our different providers we're very very avid on making sure any garnish or anything that goes on there is like supremely fresh we get our uh, microgreens that are cut they sent here on a daily basis because we use one of the local farms. I think rather than just looking at one or two dishes that are the best, I think it's understanding the fact that the quality of the product is the most important thing here. We carry some of the best products in the city, uh, if not the country. So when you carry such pristine products, um, is, is it tempting sometimes to maybe go overboard in how you treat them, that you may overshadow the beauty of the product? And do you have to exercise a certain amount of restraint in order to let the product shine through and maybe not show off every one of your skills as a chef in every dish? I think with age and maturity as a chef, it naturally comes to go back to simplicity. I'm the guy who will get the fish, cook it on a barbecue, right? Eat it with lemon and olive oil. Progressively through the career path of what I've done in the last 30 years, you can easily see first it was technique, you know, I got two Michelin stars in New York, it was very technical. You know, there's a lot of like sous vide, there's roulades, there's all these things that look amazing and not many people can do it. But you know, as I progress, I think that still just getting that piece of fish and then cutting it and putting it on a plate with a supreme sauce and some beautiful vegetables, that's a mastery of cooking. If you can make one risotto and that risotto was perfect and it has simple ingredients in it and it tastes amazing that's a much harder thing than trying to make a risotto with an espuma on top and then you have cured egg yolk and then you have another 15 other ingredients and you have this hodgy modgy sort of bowl of excitement which people like but for me i go back to the basics and i go back to the foundation of what great cooking is about and that's simplicity 
And then I was back at Resorts World the next day to have lunch at Brezza. Um, man, we kept it simple. Pepperoni pizza and a hamburger. They were both excellent. If you're looking for a place to grab lunch at Resorts World, you're going to want to remember that Brezza is Ooh. open for lunch. Yes. Maybe that's the stop after this podcast. It'll be recording. fun. I've got another idea for after this podcast, but we'll yeah. talk about that. Um, so, <laughs> Sue and I decided to stay local on Friday night, so um, we did some bites at Vintner Grill. Yeah, I love Honestly, Man, you know this place, Rich. Yeah. You know Vintner Grill, right? I mean, sort of. It's great for business lunch. It's great for just hanging out with friends. I love sitting at the bar. I mean, they've got a vibe for everybody. They really the weather's do. nice. There's a really great outdoor space. Yeah. I mean, there was a time when this was perhaps the best restaurant in the Summerlin area. Yeah. Or at least the best non-casino restaurant in the Summerlin area there for a go. while. It's upscale. It's cozy. It has refined food, a great vibe, gorgeous outdoor patio when the weather's nice, as you said. Um, despite the video poker, there's still a really active bar scene. Um, people don't bury their heads mm -hmm. in, the ga in, in their video games. They're actually gaming it out. I mean, this is a bit, it seems yeah. like there's a bit of a meat market among the highfalutin <laughs> oh, over there. Man. Oh, well, I guess the I wealthy people go now. Yeah. market over there. <laughs> now we know what we're doing, Rich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as the neighborhood has grown and the restaurant offers offerings around it of improvement people really stopped talking about vintner you know but the mm -hmm. place is still very good yep maybe not 100 percent of what it was when matt silverman was in the kitchen 15 or so years ago but what the fuck most people listening to this don't remember that and they don't right care, right this is still very very good yeah. we dined at the bar we had an excellent smoked salmon pizza or flatbread i should say um perfectly prepared lobster tail which was 30 bucks on the specials menu um we had a good if not great pear salad gazpacho really didn't resonate resonate with either of us man a so-called accent of greek yogurt was a bit more than an accent and yeah. i just thought it got too thick with that but overall still a great place to dine if you're in the area which is by the way charleston a bit east of the red rock resort yep um, we decided to catch the Barbie, Barbie movie yeah. at the Suncoast on Saturday and had a pre-movie meal at Taste of Asia. So I definitely enjoyed it more than Rich did about a week or so ago, Rich. Um, yeah. I'll admit it wasn't a perfect meal. Uh, we ordered mostly from the dim sum and starter sections of the menu. So we did Zhao Long Bao. We did pot stickers, shrimp shumai, wonton soup packed with massive delicious shrimp and pork dumplings. Okay. Uh, the only disappointment among those were really the Zhao Long Bao, also really? known to people as soup dumplings. Yep. And they were, they were decent, but they didn't feel the freshest they could be. I don't know, maybe a little gummy. I'm not sure, but they just didn't. Look, Zhao Long Bao is, you know, in this town... People have loved Zhao Long Bao for a long time, yes. and we argue about who has the best. And right now, we are I super picky in this town. Yeah, so <laughs> I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't put this in the argument for the best in that particular category. I okay. think there are other better out there. But you know, I, overall, I really enjoyed the dim sum. Um, also, the scallion pancake is a little thinner than the NYC takeout style that I love, but oh, just yeah. as greasy in a good way <laughs> and yeah. flavorful. Um, my hot and sour soup, on the other hand, was much less greasy than I used to get in the Big Apple in my takeout meals and a lot more flavorful. So, okay. um, yes, I do like this place. I'd love to go back with you guys. And, yeah, you know, I would love that. Yeah. Commiserate over what we like, okay. what we don't like. Also had ice cream from Sorry Not Sorry, which honestly may be my favorite ice cream right now. I had samples of some of their seasonal flavors on those tiny little baby spoons. Yeah. I did the key lime butter crumble <laughs> and the salted pistachio brittle. Both of them were fucking delicious, but not delicious enough to tempt me away from my old standby, which is ube and honeycomb. Oh. 
You got to do the ube oh and honeycomb God, ice so cream good. over there. Um, then I went to try Hasalan. No notes on this right now because it was just last night and it was a long night and I didn't work here in the morning. Um, well, Hasalan, if you don't know, um, from Israeli chef Ayel, um, singeing on his name, big chef in Tel Aviv, um, father of modern Israeli cuisine. It's in the Venetian and Palazzo. Yep. He already has another casual place across the, uh, the hallway yep. from Hasalan um, called Miznon. Hasalan has taken over the space that was at one point Carnivino, and then after that it was a uh, major domo. Yes. But David Chang. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. So it's a massive space, and they it's weird. They're open three nights a week only, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and basically they say two seatings. You can ask for the 6 o'clock seating or you can ask for the 8 o'clock seating. Okay. Uh, so I was there on a Wednesday. It was shut down. It was just press, media, friends yep. of the hotel, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it was a little different than normal experience, but they did us for the late seating. And as they describe it in the men in the press release, the early seating focuses on the food. The late seating is about the party. I don't want to say just about the party, but about an interactive experience, right? So this interactive experience is the music just keeps getting louder and louder as the night goes on. They have, At some point, they pull the gates on the windows, so I guess so you're not seeing the neon distraction okay. outside. Um, the, the waitresses and the waiters and all the staff, they run around, they jump on chairs, they whirl, whirl napkins over their head, they try to get you to whirl napkins over your head. Um, at some point, I mean, this is Israeli, I have not been to a lot of Jewish weddings, but at some point it really reminded me of a Jewish wedding that I've yeah. been at. There was a woman holding a chair up in the air at some point. <laughs> I mean, like, so I'm not just making this shit up or making okay. assumptions. So right? maybe, there, some maybe real... there was something happening. There was a little Israeli music, I believe, although I'm not, you know, whatever, I'm not sure the, what language is being spoken in. I apologize if it's Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew. or Hebrew or Yiddish or I'm, yeah, I'm so sorry to my Jewish friends that for not knowing that. But um, anyway, so, but I mean, it was not overwhelmingly that, but there was definitely accents of that, but it was overwhelmingly a party. It was loud. You had to How shout fun. to your friends. Yeah. You know, it was that. So, you know, what I would say is, was that good or was that bad? I don't know. Do you want to go out for a party? You know, yeah. um, for me personally, I'd like to go and focus more on the food because I find that I'd go to the early seating. Yeah. Um, the menu is really, really exciting to me. It okay. is very vegetable forward, very okay. light, very delicious, very original. Um, there are, of course, it was not vegan or vegetarian by any stretch of the imagination. I was eating with a vegan and even some of the dishes were only vegetarian friendly, not vegan friendly for yeah. her. Um, but very vegetable forward and light. Um, but then super creative. I mean, for example, the, I mean, shades of, of like 2005, 2010 molecular gastronomy in some dishes, like, um, heirloom tomato kind of spread out into like a fruit roll-up kind of thing with wow. a um, dollop of creme fraiche and then horseradish shavings on top of it which was really wild like cutting yourself off these roll-up slices and putting that on it yeah um but dish is really good we did have some steak it was very good we did have some fish it was very good again but you know the fish smothered in tomatoes right but a lot of the dishes were just a tomato salad or things like that um but it was interesting and exciting enough. I don't know. I think it may be one of the most exciting menus in Las Vegas right now because it's so different. And I'll tell you, I walked away. I was not, I did, it was a long experience. Yeah. And actually, I don't think I even got all the dishes just because some mix-ups, they went to the other side of the table. I forgot they were there, right? Like that kind of <laughs> shit. Because um, I was in a large group. But I still went home and I was not hungry. Like, let me make wow. that very clear. But I was also not full. Right. Right? And normally when you go to a media tasting, you know, you could go home full. Yeah. Um, I was eating enough that this felt like my meal for the night, but I also felt very light. Like, if you were going to go out to a club afterwards, I think this would be a lot better yeah. than, you know, 
than being on a full that stomach. That sounds awesome. And there's a wow. new club coming over there. But if you want the party, if you're there with a bunch of people that want to scream, if you're the kind of people that go to like <laughs> Tal's or whatever, um, not Tal's party. SDK brunch, or something like that. Any of those party brunch yeah. kind of spots. Uh, Lava is what I was thinking of. The, but if you like that shit, you're going to love this. Just a bit too much for me. So, um, yeah. you know, know your audience, know what you're so doing. So yes on the food, but a little bit less on the atmosphere for you. For me. But yeah. I think yay on the atmosphere. But I love the fact that it's two separate experiences. Yeah. So, you know, they've got it for either person. If you like the craziness, they've got you covered. If you don't like the craziness, you can go early. Love it. So, um, yeah. So coming up in the news, we've got all kinds of stuff, man. More things than I can even shake a stick at, as my mom <laughs> used to say. Um, including some news on what's going on over at, um, at Uncommons. And before that, we sit down live with Tom Harwood, head brewer of Bad Bee Brewing, and Nathan Hall, founder and owner of Bad Bee Brewing, to talk about some history, recent changes, and the future of one of Henderson's flagship breweries that helped jumpstart the craft brewing scene in the Las Vegas Valley. This is Food and Loathing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast, restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. You want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. You want more Al Mancini? You can hear me all week long on all of the Highway Drive and Vegas Vibe radio stations delivering the Neon Feast foodie updates. Also, keep your eyes open for my appearances on Wake Up With The CW and my videos on the at Vegas social media channels. And you can find some of my writings at visitlasvegas.com. So here we are live at Bad Beat Brewing in the Booze District in Henderson. We are talking, of course, to Nathan Hall, founder and owner of Bad Beat, and Tom Harwood, who is the lead brewer, head brewer. Head brewer. Head brewer, okay. And uh, we're going to talk just a little bit about, like, where we got here, how we got here, how do you guys know each other, how you connected. But first, I want to talk to Nathan, because your online profile is great. You're the founder and the owner. You're the proprietor. You're the payer of the bills, the taster of the beers. Father of an amazing daughter, you're a bookworm, you're an adventurer, and you're the world's most okayest boss. <laughs> yes, and I stand by that. <laughs> so tell us about your inspiration to open the brewery, especially during the early and difficult years of licensing in Henderson, and why risking almost everything was so important. Why was beer, and specifically this brand and, and this particular space, because you have definitely made it your own, why... Did you do what you do? Tell us a little bit about that. So I guess it all started out as home brewing, as everyone does in this industry. Um, you get a passion for it. You get a love for it. Um, home brewing, and you kind of see how the process works. And that was really fun. And um, I joined the local homebrew club and met a lot of people. And that's actually where I met Tom yep. uh, way back in the day. And uh, 
we did that. That's where I met my first head brewer, Wesson Barkley. He was the president at the time. And, uh, you know, developed a great friendship with a lot of people. And then, um, you know, I think we went to a beer fest with the local uh, homebrew club. We poured some beers and a lot of people were like, hey, you should start a brewery. And I think I drank a little too much that day. And I was like, you know what? I should start a brewery. That sounds great. So I went home and told my wife at the time. And uh, she was like, yeah, you're kind of crazy, but, um, you know, well, I'll indulge you. And uh, then I wrote a business plan and a marketing plan and put everything together. And then, um, you know, we decided, hey, um, let's put our houses up for sale. We, we had uh, one investment property. And then um, just about nine months before this, uh, we moved into a new house. So then we rented out our initial house. And, uh, and then I said, hey, let's put, put this up for uh for sale and see what happens. And uh, it sold within 24 hours, both properties. Wow. And uh, so I told my wife, I said, holy shit, we got to do this now, yeah. you know? So <laughs> I was just like, uh, all right. You got the funding. You, you got to yeah. money where your mouth is now. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we did because, um, you know, at the time I shopped around at banks and stuff and um, we couldn't get a loan, um, any sort of loan. Um, and also, I don't think there's a lot of breweries here at the time. So... Um, it's very new concept for people to be like, you're not having gaming, you're not having food, um, you're in an industrial park, like, you know, we're doing the San Diego model. So how early into the, um, the, the establishment of the Henderson Booze District, which is its own little collective here over on Eastgate Road, where a lot of brewers, for people who don't know, a lot of brewers and distilleries, I mean, a handful, enough that you can walk from one to another. How established was this district when you brought Bad Beat in? Who else was here? Uh, the Las Vegas Distillery. Okay. Originally. That was it. And the winery. Okay. And I think the winery was actually the, here first. And Craft House would have been here, right, at that point? No, Craft House actually came after us. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so Craft House, um, which uh, their anniversary, I want to say, is in September. So yep. we're just okay. a few months ahead of them. Okay. Um, but so you've really watched this area develop. Yeah. So, but um, it was a big risk back then. Then, if there was not, it, I'm assuming no scene here. There was no. This was not no. a tourist attraction at that point in time. Yeah, and I didn't really um, know anything about it. I didn't know anything about the winery. I didn't know anything about um, the distillery. We just, you know, this is one of the few places that you could open up without um, food and a full license and um, full liquor license and then gaming and stuff. So. Um, you know, we took advantage of that and then we, uh, we decided to open, um, ter terrifying time. Um, I think I was, you know, I've never done this before. This is the first business I ever owned. Um, I was a bit naive, um, still am, but you kind of need that to open a business and to, uh, think you're going to be successful. Uh, you put in the time, you put in the research and, um, you know, you hope at the end of the day, people like your product. Um, at the time with Weston, you know, we kind of had a vision together about the beers and what we'd start off with and kind of the direction we'd go. So um, I think that's really important because from day one, um, I knew I wouldn't be brewing or doing anything of that sort. I'd just be managing and running the front of the house. So and that's still what I do today. Okay. And so can you tell us a little bit about your growth? I know you mentioned Weston Barkley, who had moved to Portland, and now he's back in Las Vegas. He's back. Um, he's at the big brew place on the Strip, I understand. Uh, brew Dogs, yeah. Brew Dogs, yep. Um, so, but can you tell us a little bit about your growth and how your changes with brewers have done that? Um, so, I mean, we had steady growth every year um, since we opened. Uh, we were very fortunate. Um, we 
everyone's very receptive to the beers we put out, uh, the specialties, everything was, was great. Um, and then COVID happened. And uh, we were actually going into <laughs> 2020 started to be the best year we've ever had. I mean, we, <laughs> we had explosive growth in 2020, the start of it. And then uh, I will admit to plenty of uh, curbside pickups (laughs) (laughs) in uh, 2019, uh, you know, going into 2020. I mean, we just kept rising every year and we were we were making a huge headway. Uh, 2020, uh, you know, then in March, uh, when everything shut down, um, that was a big blow to us. But then, uh, you know, curbside was wild for the first month. I mean, um, I was like, why, let's not ever open that. <laughs> you know, we were, I mean, we, at one point, um, we did a release and we would sell out like 70 cases in a day. Um, we would have, we'd only be open for five hours and we would have this whole parking lot full. And then there'd be probably about 20 cars in line waiting just to park. <laughs> Uh, and I was just like, yeah, let's, let's keep this going forever. You know, who wants to open again? Um, but then, you know, obviously the pandemic kept happening and then, uh, you know, that kind of dried up. So, um, you know, then after that, so we, we've had a couple down years and then, um, you know, now we have a resurgence again. So, I mean, I think that's just a lot of business are, uh, did have that and, I think we're also very lucky just to be here, and that's a testament to a lot of people liking our beer and what we're doing, that we could uh, make it through the pandemic at all, you know? Well, like Al mentioned earlier, you know, it's not exactly like you're in the middle of a, a an area to make it a crazy beer scene or anything like that. You're in an industrial park, um, and even when I used to live down the street, it was still not that close. Um, so is your demographic more local? Do people still travel to come out here? Um, I mean, like I live in Summerlin, so, you know, I admit I'm down here when I'm down here right. kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's has, definitely more towards local for sure. Yeah. Um, I would say like 80, 20 for sure. Yeah. Um, at best. Um, and you know, when, when we open and stuff and we were coming in here, you know, I, like a lot of people would go to San Diego and the San Diego model, mm-hmm. all the breweries are in industrial parks. Mm-hmm. So it's not a big deal at all. Um, so I thought that would happen out here. The more people that did it, you know, it would just catch on. And I'll be honest, you know, nine years later, I'm still like waiting for it to catch on. <laughs> <laughs> Fair has, enough. It, has it been hurt? Has this, this Henderson Booze District been hurt by the um, attempt to kind of rebrand part of the arts district as a brewer's row and, you know, to, to establish a stroll over there where people can kind of stroll from brewery to brewery? Is that taking customers away from those who want to come here and stroll brewery to brewery? So I don't think so, because I think if you're downtown, that's a cool thing to do downtown. But if you're in Henderson and you want to do something similar to that, you can do it here. So I think they're just separate parts of the city, and that's fine. And I don't think it hurts us. I think the more breweries that open actually help everyone in general. Mm-hmm. Because then you have, you know, uh, they say the cream always rises to the top, right? Because the more exposure and, and the more that the brewing scene has in Vegas, the more everyone that's doing well is going to do even better because more people are exposed to it. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it really hurts you. Um, I think maybe it shines a light on them maybe sometimes and it doesn't shine a light on us or vice versa. But I think all in all, I think it's a positive. I don't, I don't see it as a negative. Awesome. And speaking of newish brewers, 
We've got Tom sitting here hoping we might ignore him. That's not going to happen. No, that's, that's every day. That's, Tom, Tom wants me to ignore him every day. And I'm like, hey, get a video for social media. And he's just like, ah, shit, not again. Right? Yeah. So you moved over to Bad Beat this year after yeah. a long time, a total of eight years of Main Street Station. And that was even with the cutout of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, where you spent a little bit of time at Hop Nuts. Yeah, that was a good On time. Main Street downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about how all of that happened for you and how you came to be here. Uh, I started at Big Dogs um, as an assistant in 2013. Uh, just happened to... I'd you worked with? met Dave Otto oh. for a minute. Uh, <laughs> and so, I mean, at least he knew kind of my face. And so yeah. when I got a hold of him, he was like, yeah, okay, we... All right, I'll give you a chance. And so... Um, you know, I spent a lot of time there just scrubbing tanks. Like, yeah. When did you start there? 2013. 2013. Okay. Yeah. So, um, they were well established oh, among yeah. beer geeks yeah. by that point. And, you know, big dogs being a OG again, OG. and Dave Otto, for one sure. of the guys OG. who's been brewing in this town forever, <laughs> was brewing in this town forever. But I guess I'm curious, what was the state of the craft beer scene when you started over there? Um, we had Joseph James, which used to be down here. Mm. Um, a major production brewery, yeah. uh, but they didn't have a tap room. And at that time, it was very difficult to get one. So um, we had Big Dogs, uh, Joseph James, uh, Chicago Brewing, Triple Seven. There was maybe a dozen, maybe 10 yeah. breweries. Now there's like 18 or something like right. that. So um, Tanea Creek, uh, they were around way before that also. So there were a lot of legacy breweries that have been around, established for a long time. But there was not really a lot going on until these kinds of licensing things got worked out. And so then Bad Bead and um, Hop Nuts downtown in the Arts District, those guys were able to open up. And uh, Hop Nuts is one of the first places that was resurged that whole area. Yeah, that was really yeah. before the Arts Absolutely. District blew up. That was like the, the pre-Esther's Kitchen days, right? Yeah. Like, so, yeah. I mean, and, and people forget, like, that was a big turning point. But, you know, in the old days, the Arts District was kind of still a a hope in people's eyes that maybe downtown could move beyond Fremont street and do something else. And right. Yeah. And you guys were right. a huge, huge part of making that a destination for sure early on. Yeah. He had Kevin, um, Holder had some real vision there to, to be able to start there when that's even when main street was a two way street mm-hmm. and you didn't deviate from main street at that point, there mm-hmm. was nothing off to the sides or anything like that. So I think only uh, Velveteen was down there. Yeah. Yeah. That was the only that place. Might be right? it. And then yeah. there was the furniture stores, Cowtown Guitars, maybe some other stuff like that, the little um, uh, antique stores. That's about it. And just to back up, um, Joseph James, you mentioned them. Mm-hmm. The reason they didn't have a tap room is because a lot of people don't know um, uh, these industrial parks and stuff, they have basically like an HOA. So you can't have retail sales on site. Mm-hmm. So you can have the brewery but you can't have the retail sales on site. Uh, so shout out to the neighbors. Uh, Craft House is actually the one that went to the city and went to Harsh, who owns the property, and got them to go to kind of change like their like bylaws or mm-hmm. whatever so you could have retail sales on site. So just want to point cool. that out. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah. I was just wondering, um, so you both started home brewing, and then you went through all of the things from scrubbing tanks to now head brewer. Yeah. Nathan is saying he's front of house, you know, after, was it Snafu was the, the 
Homebrewing Club? Yep, that's the Homebrew Club. Okay, and what the, what does that mean exactly? It's Southern Nevada? Ale Fermenters Union. Ale Fermenters Union. Yeah. Just in case any other beer geeks are out there looking for it, you didn't know it existed. I know that Snafu is out there. They'd love to hear yep, from you. still active. Um, so what kind of challenges have you guys come up against when you are bringing in a new brewer? And what's it like to go to a new space and have somebody who has their own way of thinking? Uh, you know, it's more about the equipment and how the process works on that particular piece of equipment to like we me and nathan both know how to make beer mm-hmm. but making it on a different set of tools is a little bit different so um learning which direction the valves go and that kind of thing that's really just the learning experience of okay. the equipment going um but uh the whole time that i was at you know triple seven and big dogs and all that so you, you kind of learn the general theory of it, and then you just have to apply it to learning how the new equipment works. Okay. And then also, what the the customer base here is vastly different than Triple Seven. Right. So I was going to ask, like, do you have a a set style of beers that are you make more because of your customer base? Did you bring beers with you from Triple Seven? Uh, I'm going to brought a couple. <laughs> <laughs> what are we drinking now? Yeah, yeah, what are we drinking now? This, this one right here, of? this is my, uh, I guess people call it my signature IPA. This is one I homebrewed from way before um, I was even brewing at Big Dogs. And um, it was uh, inspired by the beaches and the beers of Southern California, Carlsbad, Oceanside. Uh, we went to Pizza Port, and that was an eye-opening experience having IPAs oh, like that. Yeah. So, I just wanted to make something that was like that. Yeah. I had never had it before out here. So I homebrewed it, took it into Big Dogs, and uh, had Otto sample it there and somehow convinced him that we were going to be able to make it. So did a batch there, and then when I went to 777, it became the uh, year-round IPA. Mm-hmm. So I just took it wherever I went. I did it at Hop Nuts also, and yep. now we're over here. So as you've been at all these different um, breweries and various times in Las Vegas' craft beer scene development and also various geographic locations, have you noticed any trends like, oh, IPAs sell great in this neighborhood, but, you know, um, Hefeweizen sell great in in this neighborhood? I don't know, whatever. But have you seen any trends either that are dependent on the time frame or on the location of where you've been? Um, Trend-wise, you know, we like to make it's a we have an imperial stout right now like that's very strange to me to have an imperial stout in the middle of summer but people still drink it mm-hmm. um and right because we're all in uh as i always uh complain about <laughs> you you we're in uh you know 70 degree uh inside you know ac and stuff so who cares what it is outside <laughs> right, right you know if you want to drink an imperial stout drink an imperial stout right <laughs> uh, but i do say like uh, i think gosas sell better in the summer just because yeah. it's hot outside mm-hmm. like we have a watermelon gosa on right now so I mean, that's just like flying off the shelf. So, who doesn't love a salty watermelon in the middle of summer? I mean. Salty watermelon <laughs> and sour, right? right? So, why not? Um, so, I think those types of beers sell, but I mean, our, our Hef sells year round great. IPA is always going to be the king and has been since we've been in the game. So, do you notice any, just to, to add to his question or, or just expand on it, maybe, is do you notice that there are beers that sell more on this side of town versus other side the other side of town when you go out i personally don't see it um i will tell you that stouts are a hard sell any time of the year in vegas mm-hmm. it's just stouts don't move yeah um belgian beers don't really move um because they can be really heavy and it's even if it's hot outside you got to exit the ac at some point <laughs> right uh you know it's just 
it, we're still a very young beer town, yeah. right? So we're still very young. Um, we're not established like all these other places. So, I mean, um, I think it's tough in that regard, but the more breweries open, that's why I was saying earlier, the more breweries open and stuff, the more exposure we get. I think it's just, you know, you'll find those customers that want it yeah. at so different parts of the year. You're called Bad Beat. Uh-huh. Your um, logo has a 7-2, notorious offsuit 7-2, yep. I believe. So yes. notoriously the be- worst hand in Texas Hold'em <laughs> to be dealt. So did you win on and on a 7-2? Did you win on a donkey and kill somebody on a bad beat to get the money to do this or something? I, I, I did not. But um, So I was originally when I was thinking about names, I was uh, trying to come up with names for it. And I had a couple ridiculous names. And then... Oh, um, please tell me I, a couple. I, you know, I don't even remember off the top of my head, <laughs> but uh, I remember they were just bad, you know. And uh, and then I and then I came up with Bad Beat Brewing because I played poker and everything. So um, the Seven Deuce offsuit, I just thought, you know, it's iconic, right? So why don't we put that in the logo? And then we were like, oh, there's no, you know, Triple Seven actually is the only really themed brewery at the time that mm-hmm. wasn't like a, like gambling theme, you know. So we were like. Oh, poker theme. That's great. Let's run with that. So we did. Um, but yeah, I, so basically what I just always told people is that, you know, one, we funded it ourselves, right? So we were underfunded Two, um, uh, we had less experience than like these big breweries around the country. Right. So I always said, um, we would be giving everyone else the bad beat in life because by the end of the hand, we would be on top. Right. (laughs) So, so that's how that all worked. Um, but no, I've, I've actually hit a one outer once in poker and I felt terrible about it. (laughs) If you, are you, um, familiar with the band Godsmack? Yes. You ever see Sully's tattoo on his back? Oh, yeah. I have not, no. It's, it commemorates like one of the, it says no justice and commemorates like mm-hmm. one of the worst bad beats where I think he lost like four aces got beat by a flush or, or by a royal or some <laughs> shit like that. Oh, like yeah, yeah. Crazy so. hand. But I'm um, sorry, I'm, we're running out of time and I'm going off on a <laughs> That's tangent all right. now. But man, thanks so much for having us here, man. It's been, been a lot of fun. Yeah, we really enjoyed having you guys sit down with us. Definitely. You. Yeah, so what's cool. new on the menu that people should know I was just going to say. Okay. So you want to talk, Tom? Oh, yeah. Um, Tell him. <clears throat> uh, Carlsbad IPA is uh, tapping today. It's National IPA Day. Yay! Figured we would do it, uh, do the, the day perfect. justice. That's perfect. Cheers. We've also got um, Grapefruit Hoppy Times. It's our flagship mm-hmm. IPA. We've got a keg of that with uh, just, we just cut the grapefruit up right now. It's nice. In the, it's in the tank. It's ready to go. It's in the keg. It's ready to go. Um, coming up next month, we got an Oktoberfest is coming out. We're going to do a... Munich Dunkel, some more traditional beers coming up too. And what are your hours, real quick? Uh, so Monday through Thursday, we're 4 to 10. Friday, 2 to 10. Uh, Saturday, 12 to 10. Sunday, 12 to 8. Cool. Sorry about and that. And they're right in the heart of the Henderson Beer District, which, or the Henderson Booze District, which means if you come, you can jump. You could see Astronomy Aleworks is a walk away. Craft House is a walk away. You guys encourage people to, to go over to the distillery yes, as well, have 100%. some whiskey in their drinking room. Um, it's not quite a walk to the mead place, but the, the place that sells mead, but it is not nearby. So I just want to get that in, encourage people to come down, explore the Henderson Booze District, because there's a lot to do in an afternoon. Take an Uber, because you're going to want to have a few... Um, <laughs> I yes. APV <laughs> drinks. Yeah, yes. Sure. So I believe that's about it, gentlemen, man. Thanks so much for your time. The news is next. This is Food and Loathing. We are all over social media. Just search for Food and Loathing 
or reach Al directly, info at foodandloathing.vegas. And where am I these days? What am I doing? Most important, what am I eating, cooking, and learning? Find out anytime at wishboneandvine.com. One more time, that's info at foodandloathing.vegas. And my site, wishboneandvine.com. And it is time for the news. And honestly, the news is breaking so fast in this town that I can't even keep up with my notes. I'm looking at my inbox and shit is just coming in nonstop today. So let me start with just the headline here that came across shortly before I, just as I was getting in the car to come over here. Mandalay Bay to welcome Chef Michael Mina's Orla to Las Vegas this winter. Now this has been so talked about, so buzzed about, so underground. Uh, the rumors had been that Michael Mina was going to be taking over the floor space in, in Mandalay Bay. I believe that that's where this is going. I haven't gotten a confirmation on that yet, although it may come across my inbox soon. Uh, Jonathan Wright, though, I see says that it is too. So, um, we had been hearing that Michael was going to bring um, his his Greek seafood concept, which he does with the Meraki guys, uh, Ostiateria or Ordos, I believe. I believe this that's is, it. We mentioned yeah. it previously. Ornos, not yeah. Orla, but this is Orla. We thought he was bringing Ornos into that space. Um, then, you know, I started hearing different rumors that they weren't 100% going in that direction, the Greek seafood, whatever. So they're not, um, but this is still going to be a Mediterranean and Greek kind of concept. Awesome. Um, it's saying a restaurant that that blends the flavors of the Mediterranean and Greece with the bold aromatic uh, spices of the Middle East. The concept will be the first of its kind for the celebrity chef. So, you know, it sounds cool. I'm excited to hear about it. We'll have more details on that when it comes in, but Yay. that is definitely coming. It is now official. All you rumor mongers, now you know what the actual truth Love is. It. And I'm going to find out if the Milos guys are in, involved in it. I, I, sorry, the Meraki guys are involved in it. Excuse me. Um, they do have a Milos history. Yes. I'm going to find out if the Meraki guys are involved in it. I believe they are. That's not in this press release either. So still coming in a little bit at a time. Speaking of Michael Mina, also just across my um, my press releases as I was getting ready to come over here, Diane Mina's Bloody Mary Blues Brunch kicks off in um, the Sundry at Uncommons this weekend. Saturdays and Sundays, it's going to have live music, new items um, by David Varley, like breakfast sandwich, oyster shooters, biscuits and gravy, blue crab cake. Um, so this is going to be a weekend thing. It, that's Diane Mina has that little Airstream trailer mm -hmm. where she does her Bloody Marys in there. So they're launching a brunch around that. Also out of Sundry, just new Taco Tuesdays at um, BS Taqueria, yep. which is Ray Garcia's place. $5 tacos. Excuse me, man. That was I burped up some of this <laughs> beer right here, man. That, I'm a piggy. That's all right. We'll blame the said. beer. We'll blame um, the car. $5 dad. tacos, $5 um, tecates, and $5 tequilas from 5 to 9 on Tuesdays. And then Thursdays at Mizunara. Um, I don't know what it said because my thing spell corrected me when I was taking notes. <laughs> but $7 hand rolls, $8 toki highballs, $10 old fashions, 5 to 9 at Mizunara in the sundry. So that's, those are straight, straight off the wire for you right now. Right on. Also, Ferraro's has introduced some new menu items inspired by the family's recent trip to Italy. And a they've also, on top of the new menu items, which were just debuted, they've introduced a separate summer in Italy prefix menu for locals. I sat down with executive chef Mimo Ferraro to talk about both of them, starting with that trip. You know, the first 12 days out there were a lot of work related, you know, so we visited a lot of uh, wineries that we, you know, have relationships or want to establish relationships with. So, you know, definitely bringing in some new wines that we found in the Piedmont and Tuscany area. 
uh, you know, some new Barolos and Barbarescos and some sparkling wines from Contrato that are just, uh, you know, we have a couple, but we experience a few new ones over there and fantastic. So they'll be on our list uh, as soon as we can get our hands on them out here. And then, you know, visit a lot of restaurants, you know, Michelin star restaurants out there and got a lot of, uh, you know, new ideas of what's going on over there, which definitely inspired me to, you know, come back and go to work, you know, so I, within, uh, you know, 10, 12 days of being back, I, you know, launched a, a new menu that has, you know, 10 new items on it, you know, replacing some uh, existing items, but uh, I think the changes are going to be well received. We already a lot of good feedback. We just launched this past Monday, which I believe was the 31st. Yeah. 31st. The 30, 31st of uh, July. So yeah, very excited about these new dishes. So when you're traveling out there with a chef's eye and a chef's taste buds, what trends or what, um, I don't know, movements maybe are you seeing over there that really excited you? You know, what excites me out there in Italy is really just the freshness of, of their ingredients. Uh, you know, they do a lot of raw raw seafood, a lot of raw shrimp, which you don't see a lot of that out here. You know, you'll go to some restaurants and there'll be a variety of, you know, five, six, seven different raw shrimp that each one is so unique in flavor from its brininess to its sweetness and, and the colors across the board. Um, I don't know how many people are really ready for the raw shrimp. You know, we do a lot of crudos already from our salmon, our yellowtail and, you know, bluefin tuna. Um, and our raw meats, carpaccio, and our carne battuta. But, um, you know, just you, you taste the freshness and the quality of those ingredients over there. And then, you know, one of our highlights was gelato made to order for tables, which was incredible, which I've done in the past with, you know, good olive oil and sea salt. But, you know, a lot of restaurants are serving their just great fior di latte or vanilla gelato with, you know, just a great spicy extra virgin olive oil. And, you know, a good course, uh, you know, sea salt, which is fantastic, you know, but the delicacy of their pastas and the lightness and freshness and, you know, a lot of their pastas are not coming with like a crunch component, you know, as, as a part of the dish, you know, to really enhance the texture of the dish. So working on a few of those things. We're talking about new summer menu items that you've added to the menu, but you're also doing a special summertime prefix tasting menu for locals only, people with Nevada ID. Could you tell me a bit about that? Absolutely. Um, you know, not that I want to say this is a slow time of the year for, for restaurants in Vegas, but it's the slow time of year for restaurants in Vegas. You know, with our business being, you know, 80 plus, 85% convention and tourist dri driven, you know, we really want to reintroduce the restaurant to the Las Vegas locals. Um, you know, so with a single ID at the table, they can participate in a $65 four course menu. Um, you know, the menu is very traditional items that you can get in Italy, um, you know, on the lighter side, you know, so doing a, you know, beautiful stuffed zucchini flour with a, you know, just a light white wine tomato sauce. Uh, we're doing prosciutto melone. The melons are great right now. The, you know, parma prosciutto is delicious. But, you know, simple spaghetti vongole, you know, with the fresh clams, uh, you know. So you're getting a, an appetizer course. You're getting a pasta course that could be, again, our homemade, you know, spaghetti or homemade gnocchi or our featured ravioli. And, you know, getting into a protein from, you know, either grilled fish or even our osobuco is a part of that for a small upcharge. And then getting into a, a dessert that is on the lighter side of things. So, you know, value-wise, it's incredible. Four courses, 
um, you know, five or six options in, be, you know, with each course. So just a fantastic offering, um, great dishes, and it's been very, very well, well received so far. Marche Bacchus has rolled out a new happy hour menu available four to six every day. Yes. It includes eight specialty cocktails priced at nine bucks a piece and 10 menu items, most of which are priced between 12 and 15 bucks. Um, there's one that costs more, however, and to me, it's the most exciting. Chef Bradley Ogden is offering the burger that was once a really a, just a, a trademark, basically, of his namesake Caesar's yeah. Palace restaurant. It comes with the tomato jam, cheddar and fries. That's going to be on their happy hour menu for 28 bucks. I'm in. <laughs> that uh, burger is so good yeah it is good burger <laughs> over in tivoli village our friend bob cranston aka bordeaux bob who's been on this show in the past he was on my my strip club memories oh yeah oh, yes. from the pool at sapphire uh bob is hosting a five course wine dinner on thursday august 10th at ada's in tivoli village he's a good friend of the show um so i dropped by his place to get the scoop on what he's doing here's a bit about what he what he had to say on the meal all wines from bordeaux uh three are what we would consider grand cru and one of my missions in the wine business uh, is to encourage people to drink more mature wines so uh, at this dinner uh, we have uh, the first course is uh, a cremant de bordeaux which is a sparkling wine made in the method champenoise uh, from bordeaux uh, it's called Tentation par Mocayou from our friends at Chateau Mocayou in Moulise, which is a small village next to Margot. Uh, they produce this uh, in the Method Champenois, so it's made in the bottle. It's entourage only for 18 months, so it doesn't have those bread dough, those big yeasty uh, characteristics that true champagne has. And of course, it's made from different varieties that are cultivated in Bordeaux, Semillon, Cabernet Franc, and Muscadel. It's lightish, medium-ish. Um, it's our amuse-bouche, our uh, reception wine, uh, and it's served with a little melon and crab salad, and I'm guessing that'll be like on a little spoon, something like that. Um, very nice. Then we have a glorious uh, Bordeaux Blanc from Chateau Coste d'Estrenel, which is a second growth. Um, Coste d'Estrenel is owned by our dear friend Michel Rebier, who, if you've ever had prosciutto from Italy, Probably half the prosciutto you've ever had is produced by Monsieur Rebier. So we're serving his 2020 Pagodas de Cos Blanc bone dry. It'll be very minerally, um, and it's paired with a, and this blew my mind knowing the price of Dover Sole in today's market. So we have poached Dover Sole, summer squash, bouillabaisse, and brioche, which is terminally French if there ever was anything, and that should be spectacular. Bordeaux is surrounded by water. Uh, the Gironde estuary is full of sea life, shellfish, mussels, shrimp. Uh, my favorite scallops there are incredible, clams, oysters. Um, so having this Dover sole with the Bordeaux Blanc is absolutely sensational. The second wine is Fétis Clenet. It's from Palmerol, so it's based, it's Merlot-based with a little bit of Cabernet Franc, and 2013. So this is this idea, we have 10 years of bottle age. Merlot-based, so it's not gonna be as full as Cabernet-based wines. Uh, Coriander-crusted lamb loin, amazing. Uh, the third course, or the entree, is with the 2012. So again, 11-year-old, one of my personal favorites, one of the most incredible properties in Bordeaux, Chateau Malartique Le Gravier, 2012. It's Grand Crac. Grand Cru Class A from Pesac, from the Graves region just south of Bordeaux. Eye of ribeye, sweet bread, sweet bread Bordelaise, and I don't know what Robuchon potatoes are, but I can't wait to try wait, them. Wait, you've never had Robuchon potatoes? I'm sure I have, as I've eaten a Robuchon 
twice in the restaurant and two or three times in L'Atelier. Well, just prepare yourself for a lot of butter in the mashed potatoes. <laughs> and then the dessert is with a wine that um, my firm, Vintex, produces. Uh, it's called La Florida Or, the Golden Key. It's a 2016 Sauterne. And this sounds even un- more unbelievable. Peach tartatan with foie gras ice cream. Mm. And if you're a gourmand, you know that Sauterne and foie gras is about as classic as it gets. So... It's $150 a person, but aside from just coming to hang out with me and eat some wonderful food and taste some great wines, just having the the, the jewel that Ada's is uh, for our community, for people who live up in Summerlin, if you haven't been to Tivoli Village, the service is great, the vibe is great, and I'm telling you, the food and the wines at this evening, and I think it's even a value at $150 a person. Next up, you may have heard the news that Wolfgang Puck's Players Locker closed a little unexpectedly. Chef Puck and his team can, are now starting to convert that into a new Lupo that's set to open, and they, they're now looking at early next year. The conversion happened a li- little earlier than it was originally planned, which is, you know, I read about this in the RJ. People seem surprised about it. I gave Tom Kaplan a call to get some of the details. I don't have that recorded, but here's a couple of the takeaways of what he told me. Basically, Mandalay has asked the Puck organization to revamp the original Lupo inside Mandalay Bay as part of the big overhaul that's going on in preparation for the Super Bowl. Yay! So that place is going to have a new name, a new design, and a new menu. It will remain an Italian restaurant, an exclusively Italian restaurant. That's expected to open in Mandalay by the holidays, definitely well in time for the Super Bowl, but prior to the Christmas and New Year's holidays. In the meantime, Players Locker has been struggling to find its market since COVID. So they, and you know, it's a great thing when it opened. They had all the Golden Knights down there. They have their own yeah. lockers. They was going to be where they hung out. I a great happy hours there. Yeah, it was going to be really a team hangout. It just never really seemed to catch on, I guess. So um, Wolf and and his team, and I say Wolf as if we're buddies, but they decided <laughs> yeah. um, to take Lupo to the hood, which they think is finally ready for fine dining, which we've seen with the success of, you know, Jing and Harlow and, you know, people willing yeah. to spend more yeah. money out there, right? So um, this is going to be an evolved Lupo menu, which means it'll be heavily Italian with touches of Mediterranean, Asian, and traditional American. Um, Tom compared this, who is, of course, Wolf, Wolfgang Puck's right-hand man. He compared it to Spago's menu. And he said, really, they couldn't put a Spago in downtown Summerlin because they have radius restrictions around the sure. one that they have on the strip. So they feel that, you know, Lupo in the hood is a good idea. They think the price point for this one's going to come in at about $100 a person. Okay. They say they want to keep it a little less than, let's say, the Harlow price point, but more than, pe- more than the player's locker price point, right? Sure. Um, to just talk about what's there now and what's around the corner from them. So, um, you, look, expect for this to open, I guess, early next year is what they're saying on that. So that is the lowdown and the scoop straight from the horse's mouth. Wow. And then I think finally, for me at least, Creston Rue has announced another collaboration, this time with Founders Coffee. Um, now through August 31st, the Town Square Pizza and Pie Shop is going to be offering tiramisu, tiramisu cold foam affogato mm. and pecan pie a la mode with an espresso infused foam. Both of those are going to be made with Founders Coffee's products. And to reciprocate, Founders will be offering Crust and Roo's fresh baked strawberry and peach pies at each of its locations throughout August. And that is it for me. That sounds delicious. Ow. And now I really want an affogato. But that's okay. Hey, it's International IPA Day, apparently, and we're celebrating appropriately. Also coming up to celebrate National Bratwurst Day. on The brats. (laughs) Get the brats. The way we say it in Wisconsin, the brats. That's right. (laughs) 
<laughs> now I'm hearing a lot of my family in my head. Oh, yeah, you sure. Um, to celebrate National Bratwurst Day on Wednesday, August 16th, Hofbra House will be serving a special called, and I'm going to guess this is how it's pronounced because it's written out this way, Gigantish Bratwurst. Gigantish. Gigantish. Yeah. You can say it with a yes. German yeah. accent, right? This, this, I, yeah, that was the best. That was right. We will take the Sudetenland tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this dish features a 16-ounce, two-foot-long cheese-filled sausage served in a baguette accompanied by a delectable green cabbage bacon salad and a generous, and I mean generous, Two-pound serving Go. of French fries. Too much. I was about to too say, much. I got your two-foot-long cheese <laughs> but it's too many things to say for my crude I love it. old joke right there. I love it. Their hours are 11 to 10 Sunday through Thursday, 11 to 10 Friday and Saturday, and that Beer Meister band that everybody loves is playing live on stage Sunday through Thursday, 5 to 10, and Friday and Saturdays. Six to 11. I'm sorry. I stepped on you there. That's okay. It's this beer. It's going right to my head. Can you get Beermeister Band swag? Because I think I, I think like, you can. Like Ooh, yeah. I think you can. Yeah. Um, they do recommend reservations because these massive sausage links are only available while supplies last. You know, Secret Burger's offering another luau type event. I know Al and I went to one a couple of weeks ago with a new poo-poo platter. Chef Luke Palladino invited guest chef Catherine Carlucci of Astoria to be the guest chef of August Pool House Social Club. As guest chef, Kat will be creating a custom poo-poo platter consisting of five dishes, including inasal chicken, skewers, mini lapchong corn dogs with honey mustard, salmon skewers, kimchi shrimp and bacon rangoon, and samosa egg rolls with tamarind chili glaze. Now, these are huge platters. So when it says it's $60 a platter, it does feed two or more. Or more. Yeah. <laughs> we had a table of like five people and... Did you order five platters? Well, uh, sorry, we had six people and we ordered five platters. I ordered a single platter and everybody else ordered their own platter and there was far too much food. The event is August 17th at 7 p.m. That's at Palms Place and you can get your tickets at secretburger.com. And I should say, if people aren't familiar with Astoria, although I have never met that chef, we did did speak to the founder of Astoria on this podcast Mm -hmm. probably about four, five, six weeks ago. Um, nice, long centerpiece interview. It's a really amazing story it of is. him trying to tell the stories of um, pre-colonial Philippines through food. Correct. So, and he's, a, he's a, the guy who founded the group is a filmmaker by trade. Obviously, he has chefs that work with him, including yep. this chef. So go back and re-listen to that, I would just suggest, because it's really cool. And then one more, Anima's doing a World Sake Imports Tasting and Dinner. It's on August 23rd of... And starts at 6 p.m. Early seating and cocktails are available at 5.30 to 6 p.m. If you show up a little bit early. That's $185 per person plus tax and gratuity. And you can reserve your seats by emailing joe at ediotapas, T-A-P-A-S, dot com. All right, we saved the best for last. Uh, for <laughs> really, maybe not. Uh, uh, rich is in heaven, man. I don't know about that. Junk food time. Bojangles, the uh, I've heard of that chicken chain in the south, southeast. Yeah. They have 800 restaurants around 15 states, all day breakfast, lunch, dinner, matter, uh, chicken tenders, crispy chicken sandwiches, and all that. And they're coming to Vegas. They're talking about 20 restaurants in the next year or two, uh, with their dirty rice and their Cajun uh, pintos and mac and cheese and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I I tweeted recently because I remember having Bojangles. 
25 years ago, 30 oh years ago I've in the South. Bangles. And I've had churches fried chicken a few times. And I thought, can you tell the difference between Bojangles and churches? I doubt you can. So I better I better uh, test half that theory anyway. So I went to churches the other day on West Decatur, <laughs> west of Charleston at Decatur. I got there early, 1030, which is a good idea because you get the pieces that have just come out of the fryer. Sure. They haven't been sitting under the lights for four hours. Leg and thigh, very hot and moist uh, for having not been under the lamp. The batter is kind of mild, what they call original. You know, I ordered one piece of spicy, and either I didn't get it or it really isn't all that spicy. I could not <laughs> tell. Uh, a nice little cheddar cheese uh, jalapeno popper. The chicken is very nice. It's, it's good. It doesn't have any major flavor. It's not like a KFC. It's not like a Popeye's spicy, but it's a good piece of fried chicken when done right and, and ordered at the, the good time. I assume, as I remember, Bojangles is about the same. Everybody raves about the Bojangles uh, uh, biscuits. Sure. Well, I thought the church's biscuits were really nice. They were brushed with honey on the top, so it was Ooh. a good palate cleanser between a bite of chicken and a bite of jalapeno popper. So uh, I look forward to competing, completing this experiment. I, you know, again, it's been 40 years since I had the, uh, <laughs> the Bojangles. I am always a fan of more on-the-bone fried chicken, none of this yes. bullshit chicken sandwiches or something <laughs> dipped in hot sauce so much you forget that there might actually be some chicken <laughs> under all that batter. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll see. There's no such thing as too much fried chicken. <laughs> okay, well, I think that about sums it up for this week. No such thing as too much fried chicken. Rich Johnson. There's our episode title right that there. on a plaque. <laughs> Thanks to our hosts for the day, Tom Harwood and Nathan Hall, as well as our guests, Sean Hergat, Bordeaux, Bob Cranston, and Mimo Ferraro. We're going to be back next week with more of this deliciousness. Till then, with Samantha Gemini Stevens and Rich Johnson, I am Al Mancini. Stay hungry. <laughs>